0: Welcome to the Fed Heads, a weekly podcast from Grant Thornton Public Sector. Join the Fed Heads each week as Robert Shea and a celebrity guest host talk about the arcana of government management and the people who are working hard every day to improve it. Welcome to another episode of FedHeads. I'm Robert Shea. And, and I'm Adam Hughes. Our guest host this month. So glad you came back. I'm, again, thrilled to be here, Robert. So it's not often that we devote an episode exclusively to a colleague at Grant Thornton. So it's a special episode. It is. And I'm really proud to introduce my partner or fellow principal. What do we
1: call ourselves? Yeah, I think fellow principal. Fellow principal, principal,
0: Motion yeah. Nelson. Thanks for being with us.
1: Thank you. I'm honored to be on the Fed Heads podcast. So, Thank and we've also
0: do. learned that you're an avid listener. Are you lying about that? Or is that, I mean, I, we're going to grill you on like topics.
1: Yeah, the past, the past, Probably eleven episodes or something. You can you can check. Wow, that's yeah, pretty good. Oh.
0: you're on to talk about not a very light topic. Uh, we've all been riveted by the crisis in Ukraine. I worry that we're going to lose focus, but you're thinking farther ahead than that, right? You recently opined that we ought to be thinking about rebuilding. Yeah. So, lay the
1: groundwork. Tell us what that's all about. Sure, sure. Uh, th- thanks for having me on the podcast again. Yeah, so the impetus behind this article was really, it started before Ukraine and looking at what happened with the withdrawal of Afghanistan, right? There was a lot of thought um, and literature around what went wrong, right? What went wrong with uh, post-conflict areas and what we could do in the future uh, to ensure that we don't just come in and win wars, but we establish democratic principles that are lasting, and that could thwart um, individuals or organizations that essentially tried to get in the way of democratic progress. So there was uh, a lot of literature out before Ukraine, looking at, you know, post-conflict regions in the Middle East, in North Africa, and really identifying, you know, issues with the rebuilding process and then what bad actors, and this is what I call them in the article, bad actors come and do and supplanting the services that a government would provide. To delegitimize that government. So when Ukraine came around, and we were, you know, trying to determine what can we do to help, and when I say we, you know, my hat uh, with Grant Thornton leading our asset management supply chain practice, uh, I'm in a community of people that do infrastructure and rebuilding. So when I look at uh, the devastation that was occurring in Ukraine, and I ask myself what can I do, it's apparent that I have a more longer-term view because. Building a building takes time. Uh, it takes planning and effort, and the destruction that was coming uh, as a result, we could all see, uh, was having an impact on my psyche. And saying this is going to take a really long time to rebuild, and these are critical services that if aren't uh, provided quickly uh, and effectively, you know, can lead to a lack of stability long term.
2: So, talk a little bit about what what you wrote, but also you know, you and I talked about this article as you were writing it and working on. You know, putting it out in the world so people can see it. Talk about what else has been done in the literature and some of the analyses and studies that have been done. Like, what? There's no one-size-fits-all. So, so what is Ukraine a unique uh, outlier in this kind of study and review that has been done, or is it fairly typical for what goes on in other areas like Afghanistan or in, in Africa?
1: Yeah, it, it's really, you know, it, it's tough um, because a lot of the literature was in areas of the world that you weren't having a, a – a global superpower attacking a, a smaller country and and looking at that rebuilding effort, right? We were looking at Syria or Libya, you know, the long-term effects of um, Lebanon, Hezbollah, you know, what a lot of terrorist organizations would do in coming in and providing social services that would delegitimize uh, the governments that were trying to, you know, establish democratic norms. We see this from Libya right now. So, when we look at Ukraine, obviously it's a it's a different environment. We're in Europe, you know, Russia is a global superpower. But can we apply some of the principles of quickly reestablishing uh, fundamental services that ensure democratic norms, ideologies, and practices are occurring. And that's education, that's healthcare, you know, really the, the services that touch the population and people that would be Influenced by bad actors in, in some cases, right? That would, in long term uh, purposes, join you know fringe groups that would be against the government.
0: So you're talking about making sure that you are crowding out profiteers, people who want to do bad, deteriorate the democracies that we hope flourish, and instead bring a more responsible approach to rebuilding. And what are those principles? Tell me. What distinguishes your approach from what hasn't worked
1: in the past? That's a good question. And one thing that was unique to the approach that I outlined is really capitalizing upon the innovation uh, that has occurred in the asset management environment, right? So I was speaking from a place of um, how do we utilize our technology, our analytics, um, some of the latest breakthroughs in energy to ensure that services are up and running effectively in key areas that will help stabilize the country and ensure others couldn't influence. And remember, the, the influence is over a longer period of time. Uh, I'll give an example. So after that paper was written, uh, and the Asset Leadership Network, uh, who's an association that we belong to, who helped co-write the paper, after they sent it out to their group, organizations started to form organically. So when we talk about actors that work within the microgrid uh, environment, alternative energy, started speaking with one another and actually helping each other field capability now to Ukraine, right? And helping with the logistics. So connecting these individuals in order to, you know, reach a sort of a a common goal. And that's in the short term. I think to your question is in the long term, right? How can we do it right? How can we rebuild effectively? I think it's you know, ensuring that the basic services, social services are quickly and effectively stood up, implemented, and then cared for over time. We don't want to just rebuild a facility and then walk away and have a, a, you know, a glamorous ribbon cutting, and then that you know, services aren't essentially provided shortly after, and that, had, that occurred, right? That occurred throughout Iraq uh, over a longer period of time as an example.
2: So there are international humanitarian groups involved now in Ukraine and, and elsewhere war-torn areas. What's the role for those types of organizations, the United Nations? Like it like you t- just talked a little bit about like this kind of organic growth when you present people who want to help with an idea. But I feel like with this type of massive undertaking, it's already sort of going on in providing people with the necessities they need day to day during the war. What's the role for those types of organizations? Are they in charge or are they trying to pull together more of a coalition of those who can help? Yeah.
1: So there are, I think, naturally, you know, USAID, obviously a great agency that's taking a lead role here. There are a number of agencies that, excuse me, organizations that have been set up, nonprofits, really based upon what we've seen with local hurricanes and rallying capability quickly in order to provide services that essentially leapfrog the bureaucratic entanglements that may occur with a longer-term uh, relief effort, yeah. right? Like I remember with Hurricane Sandy,
2: People just created a Google Doc and shared it about where you could get gas. Right. Which is, and that type of crowdsourcing is way faster than any type of organization could compile that information and share it with the people who need it.
1: That's right. I mean, and World Central Kitchen uh, is just a great example of, you know, an organization that, um, you know, Jose Andres established it because he saw that he can rally the culinary uh, world faster and get food into the mouths of you know people that need it faster than any government could, right? And has been fulfilling needs and was one of the first on the ground, and they're still on the ground. I mean, the CEO is on the ground now in Ukraine, delivering meals to some of the riskiest areas. So it's just an example of with social media, right, with these informal networks that have been created, how uh, change and help can be implemented quickly. Institutionalizing that help, right? And ensuring that it's integrated into the overall, you know, democratic government of the country is a, a more longer term challenge. Jose
0: Andres is also complaining, I think, that a lot of food aid getting to Ukraine is being wasted or stolen. How do you put in controls that prevent that in an arena that's probably just rife with fraud and
1: corruption? Yeah, just the factor of a wartime environment and you know informal networks that are created to make just general day to day subsistence uh, you know possible. I, d- I don't know the the magic answer to it um, because I think that so many resources are dedicated to you know managing just day to day supply chains and. Um,
2: okay, we'll get back yeah. to us on that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the the uh, so wait, you haven't solved all the problems. No. <laughs> we have to vet our guests better. <laughs> on that.
0: Tell us about what you do on a day-to-day basis that puts you in a position to have these thoughts, share these views with the asset leadership network.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And part of this is just wanting to help, right? Seeing that there's a need and also having helped in other disaster scenarios. So on a day-to-day basis, you know, I manage our portfolio projects within Department of State and USAID. So I'm essentially connected to, you know, what's going on in the foreign affairs community you know, breathe that day in and day out. On the other side, from a technical perspective, and I've been with Grant Thorne for 16 years doing asset and supply chain management, which everybody loves. That you're you're
2: hitting the demographic of FedHeads perfectly. Yeah, <laughs> keep <laughs> talking.
1: That's right. Um, you understand the technical dynamics that can enable success in you know, highly constrained environments and a disaster or a war is, is one of those uh, you know, constrained environments. So during, you know, Hurricane Maria, for example, we were able to help a government agency very quickly identify and distribute fuel based upon the application of quick data analytics, quick visualization tools, and understanding of contracts and supply chain management, you know, within hours, stand up a capability where they had line of sight into the distribution of that fuel um, and then planning with FEMA uh, how to get it in and out uh, out of the island. So understanding the, you know, the bureaucratic processes, the acquisition processes, and then some of the technology that can be utilized helps me think through, when I look at Ukraine, all of the things they're going to need in order to be successful long-term.
2: I mean, it sounds like what you're saying, too, is it's a mix of that more a hands-off crowdsourcing and use of technology plus understanding the way that the large institutional relief organizations operate, whether they're government specific or their partnerships with nonprofits.
1: That's that's correct. And the ecosystem of players that are bringing innovation to this environment, right? This infrastructure environment, the rebuilding and how quickly they've been able to field capabilities and what's out there, you know, at startups that can enable better line of sight, better planning, more accountability, better distribution, and there's just a ton of progress made in that area. So, you know, how do you apply quickly to this environment? So I know you've done you've done a bunch of things
2: since you published through the Asset Leadership Network. You've done some videos like are you announcing plans to leave Grant Thornton are you <laughs> going to do full time is this uh, your swan song is this your retirement or like I mean I yeah. know you you yeah. said you know I I did I wanted to figure out a way to help, right? And I and there's so much more that can be done, but are there additional things that you're thinking about, or are you mostly going to continue to do what you do day to day to help more to either domestic or other types of crises and humanitarian issues?
1: Well, what's great is we've seen tangible outcomes as a result of putting out the thought leadership, right? Pointing associations and people together that can work and affect change on the ground. So we've we've seen the right groups getting together and actually sharing resources and plans. We'll continue this thought process as we come into, uh, you know, conference planning coming, you know, in the uh, October, November timeframe, we'll have a a large, you know, asset leadership conference with asset leadership network. And this, this will be on the docket, right?
2: And uh, and it will likely maybe even be different, just given what's going on. And, and you, you'll have to probably update and pivot and which is likely what these organizations have to do every every day anyway.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, in reality, we published the article um, in April, and already so much had changed on the ground, right? Uh, so there will be more to come. Uh, and just, you know, creating this energy, right, creating these groups of people to collaborate more effectively together and um, help bring relief. Yeah. It's grueling to watch
0: day after day the destruction uh, and misery in Ukraine, but also inspiring that they've resisted so much of that onslaught. But I'm grateful that you've sort of painted a hopeful picture of the future. Thanks for coming on and sharing. Thanks for putting it out there in the first place. Thanks for the invitation.
1: I look forward to uh, updating you all in six months. Thanks so much.
0: Thanks for listening to The Fed Heads, brought to you by Grant Thornton Public Sector. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us on Twitter at GT Public Sector to join the conversation. And don't forget to subscribe so
1: you don't miss out on new episodes.